I now call your attention to the book of Numbers, chapter 10, the 10th chapter of the book of Numbers, and verse 29. Numbers 10, verse 29, that's page 162. And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. Now over the years various attempts have been made to put the books of the Bible in order in a poetic form to help people remember the order of the scriptures. And some of these poems also include little bits of information regarding the content of each book. I can remember as a child learning in Sunday school one that started like this. In Genesis the world was made by God's creative hand. In Exodus the Hebrews marched to gain the promised land. Leviticus contains the law, holy, just and good. Numbers records the tribes enrolled, all sons of Abraham's blood. And so it goes on. So it brings us to the book of Numbers. Now, the book of Numbers in the Hebrew is just simply entitled In the Wilderness, because that's where it begins in verse 1 of chapter 1. But it covers the 40 years of wandering of the children of Israel in a waste howling wilderness. And the book of Numbers is entitled simply because of the census that was taken at the beginning of the journeys and the census that was taken towards the end of the journeys. And what's rather fascinating is this, that when you look at the figures, you find the total sum of the men, around about 600,000, was just the same, more or less the same at the end as at the beginning. Of course, you have to add to that the women and the children, so possibly a conservative estimate would bring you with a figure of something like two or three million people. And God preserved this large number of people throughout the wilderness journeys of 40 years. There were those, of course, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness because of their unbelief. They refused to believe that God could help them enter the land of Canaan and overcome the enemies. And so that generation passed away in the course of the 40 years. But God preserved them alive, a whole nation of people, by a miracle, a living, ongoing miracle for 40 long years. And you remember that God fed them with manna sent down from heaven and he provided water for their everyday needs. Now the children of Israel were a typical people. By that I mean that they were intended as an illustration of the experiences of God's people in every generation, whether they are Jew or Gentile. This comes out very plainly to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where mention is made of the crossing of the Red Sea and the pillar of cloud to guide them and the manna that fell from heaven, even mention is made of their sin and disobedience and idolatry, but we're told that these things happened as an ensample. Not example, that's, that takes you part way to the meaning, but ensample is a stronger word. It means type and direct pattern of what the Lord does spiritually for his people in every generation. So if we are believers, then we are spiritual descendants of Abraham. We have the same faith as faithful Abraham. It doesn't matter about our nationality, whether a Jew or Gentile, that makes no difference. So we come back to 
the book of Numbers primed with expectation to find lessons for us today. And you find the Lord Jesus drew from the book of Numbers. He mentioned John chapter 6 about him sending the true bread from heaven. Your fathers uh, had manna in the wilderness and they have perished. But your father sendeth you the true bread from heaven. That's himself. He is the bread of life sent down from heaven. And remember when he was speaking to Nicodemus, as recorded in John chapter 3, he made mention of the brazen serpent, which again is recorded in the book of Numbers. So you find gospel lessons here in the book of Numbers. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now I'm bringing to you a message from verse 29. I want to notice three things. First of all, the journey and its end. We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. Secondly, we notice the invitation. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. And thirdly, the encouragement. For the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. So, to begin with then, we notice the journey and its end. Moses here is speaking to Hobab. Now, there's an interesting discussion to be had as to who exactly Hobab was. And part of the difficulty is because some people in the Bible have more than one name. Some believe Hobab was another name for Moses' father-in-law. He's otherwise known as Jethro. Others believe that Hobab was the brother-in-law of Moses. And you can read this verse both ways in respect to Moses' brother-in-law or father-in-law. But there are other scriptures that throw some light upon this passage, and I would tend to fall in with the the well-known commentators which seem to decide the imbalance of favour is with Hobab being the brother-in-law of Moses. The Hebrew word translated father-in-law is a sort of a flexible term that can refer to any relation by marriage. So I want to think, think then particularly of Hobab in this light. So a family relation of Moses. And here is Moses expressing something of his enlarged heart towards others. His concern for his family. He wants this man Hobab to go with them. You know, the people of God are not selfish. J.C. Ryle once said, the famous Anglican bishop, the highest form of selfishness is that person who wants to go to heaven alone. Now, a Christian in their right mind would never think like that. If we are on the road to heaven, we will be concerned about those that are not yet on the road to heaven. And we'll be praying and we'll be concerned that they might begin this journey heavenward. And here is Moses encouraging Hobab to go with him. He's reasoning, reasoning with him. He's pleading with him. And he answers his objections and he tries to encourage him to go with them. But notice the quality of faith that Moses had in the word of God. He knew that he was going in the right direction and he was trusting what God had said in his word. We are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it you. He believed that. He was fully persuaded of it. There was no doubt in his mind that God had spoken and God had purposed good for his people. 
And Moses was traveling in that same direction, the direction God's people are to travel. But the point is this, we are journeying, aren't we? Whether we want to think about it or not, it's true, we are journeying. We're very conscious of the fact that tonight is the 53rd Lord's Day of this year. It's the final day of 2023. And very soon we'll be uh, marching forwards into 2024. Whether we want to or not, it's irresistible, isn't it? We are journeying, it's true, of all of us. And I dare say, children, you sometimes you look forward to your next birthday and uh, you are looking forward to journeying onwards in life and growing up and all the things that might bring to you. So it's an ever-forward movement, no going back. On the clock of Chester Cathedral, there's a poem that was written by Henry Twells. He died in the year 1900. When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I waxed more bold, time strolled. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I daily grew, time flew. Soon I shall find in passing on, time gone. O Christ, wilt thou have saved me then? And maybe that's the question that some of you are asking. You are asking whether you will come into the blessing of God's great salvation. That's your desire, that's your quest, that's your earnest plea. You want to be one of God's people. You want to be journeying in the right direction. And you're conscious that time is ever moving onwards. And there's no going back. Well, we are journeying then, aren't we? Relentlessly journeying day by day, and month by month, and year by year. The young are growing up. When I visit chapels, perhaps some twice or only once a year, I find that sometimes in the space of 12 months, some young people have changed almost beyond recognition that period of time. They've got to that growing age where they change very considerably. It's very conscious the, the young are growing up and the elderly are more visibly growing older and more conscious of their weakness and limitations. And it's something we're all aware of and we can't help but notice. But our lifespan is often marked by milestones, isn't it? When I was a boy, I used to sometimes travel on the famous A22, which is the old highway from Eastbourne to London. And I could remember uh, seeing some of the, the milestones. These were ancient markers, and uh, it was about this wide and this high, and uh, they're not all there today, but there's still some left, and it has a series of bells. And then underneath the number, perhaps 32, which indicates it's 32 miles to the Bells of Bow in London. And it was interesting seeing how many of these we could, we could see on the journey to London. Well, we all have our milestones, don't we? And of course, when it comes to milestones in the road, it's a decreasing number as you journey onwards towards the town or the city you're traveling to. And our lives are like that, aren't they? We tend to measure our, our lives the other way around, an increasing number. In fact, it's a decreasing number that we've got left. And so we find we have milestones like birthdays, and children uh, often look forward to their next birthday. I have a granddaughter, and she's just turned four, and she keeps telling people she's four now, she's going to be five. 
And that's how it is for children, isn't it? They're looking forward to the next milestone in their lives. And then, of course, there's special events which come as special significant moments that mark out our lives. For children, it may be a change of class. We're moving from one school to another. Moving on in education to GCSEs and A-levels and university graduation and so forth, beginning employment, and beginning the adult life experience. It may be marriage and children come along and we tend to measure our lives and we tend to date things by when such a child was born or another child was born. We can remember things in that context. Just like people remember pre-COVID and post-COVID. These are markers in our lives. And some people mark things by times of crisis or major operations. They're significant events in people's lives. And we tend to think, of, well, that's before I had that particular operation. Or it's before I had that particular fall and the injury or that accident. And that's how we tend to mark our lives. So it may be a family death, a loved one, perhaps of a great age, passed away. And we particularly remember that event. You see, time is like a mighty juggernaut. We can't hold it back. It's carrying us forward relentlessly. We are journeying. But the point is this, where to? Where are we journeying to? Children often ask the question, don't they? In the car, if it's not a routine journey, they may say, where are we going? And five minutes later, they may be saying, are we nearly there? But that's how it is, isn't it, for children? Where are we going? And we need to ask that question. Children are wise in that regard. And it's wisdom if we ourselves, as adults, asking the question, where are we journeying to? That should be a matter of deepest concern to us all, because there's only one of two destinations to which we will go to, either heaven or hell. We're either on the narrow way, which leads to everlasting life, the highway of holiness, or we're still on the broad road that leads to everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. There's no neutral ground. There's no in-between, no middle road. It's one or the other. You think of the old Sunday school hymn that puts it like this. How solemn the question. With me is it well? Am I saved by God's grace from my sin? Are my steps now directed to heaven or hell? Let me search for the answer within. These things are of utmost importance to us all as we come to the end of another year and soon we step forward into another year. Then we need to ask ourselves the question, where are we journeying to? It's beyond question that we are journeying. We can't deny it or be foolish if we tried to. But the point is, where are you going? Do you know where you're going? Do you know which road you are on? Does it concern you if you don't know? If you've never really thought about these things before, think about it tonight. What a wonderful thing it would be if tonight, for the very first time, someone would think about these things by the Holy Spirit's teaching in the heart. Where am I going? Where is my final destination? There's a heaven to win and a hell to shun. And these things need to be proclaimed loud and clear and as plainly as possible. So then we are on a journey of life. Moses knew where he was going. But are we wise and reading the road of life? Now, if a learner driver was asked the question, 
How far ahead should you be looking when you're driving? If they were to say, as far as the car in front, that wouldn't be the right answer. The right answer is, as far as possible. And you'll know if you drive on motorways, that if you see a car, say, six cars ahead, putting on its brakes, then it makes you stop and think, I may need to slow down. It's a sort of kind of advance warning, isn't it? And we are to be reading the road of life. We're to be looking ahead, not just living for the here and now, but looking ahead. Not only looking ahead to our future life here below, but looking ahead to a never-ending eternity. When this life is no more, we will launch into a never-ending eternity. But where will we be? Where are we going? And that's the important question, isn't it? There's a land of promise. God has proclaimed for the benefit and blessing of his people. You see, every journey has an end. And the journey God's people take has a glorious end, a blessed end as to the things of this life, which will launch every believer into an, an eternity of glory and happiness in the presence of Christ forevermore. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more darkness, no more anxiety, no more trouble and strife. All the earthly things, these former things, will have passed away. But it's not so for the unbeliever who dies in the dark and is banished from the presence of the Lord forever. We are journeying. So we've noticed then the journey and its end. But secondly, we notice the invitation of Moses. Come thou with us and we will do thee good. Moses was earnest and sincere in his entreaty. He really meant what he said. And God's people likewise mean it when they try to encourage others to think about their soul, to think about the way of life and the fact that we are journeying and we need to be ready when this journey comes to an end. We are genuine in our inquiry regarding these things. Why do you think we go to the trouble of preaching the gospel week after week, week after week? Why do you think that we go to the trouble of gathering children for Sunday school and teachers prepare a message to impart to the children and then they have to take them home afterwards. This is all very tiring. It takes a lot of time and a lot of thought. Why do we do it? Why do we bother? Because we are concerned about people on their journey of life. They may see the truth. They may see their need of Christ. And by the grace of God, they may repent of their sins and may flee to Christ for a refuge. Why is it that we conduct Bible studies? Why is it we have prayer meetings? Why do we conduct open-air testimony and witness in the town centre once a month to speak to people and to encourage them to come to worship because we want people to see the way of life and salvation, that they may be delivered from the paths of darkness and sin and rebellion and may submit themselves to the truth and may come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the genuine desire of the Lord's people. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. And you find this is the testimony in the Scriptures at the end of the book of Revelation. Revelation 22, verse 17, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Now, who is the Bride? Well, it's the Church. It's the people of God. The Holy Spirit says, come. He calls through the Word. But the bride, the people of God, are saying the same thing. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life 
freely. This then is the united testimony of God's people down through the running centuries. Come there with us and we will do thee good. You find the woman at the well. She'd been brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. She'd come to see him as the true Messiah. And she was so filled with a sense of the love of Christ when she went back to the city, she couldn't help it. She said, come, see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Is not this the one that we've been waiting for all these years? Is not this the Christ? She couldn't help but say, come. Some people call this overflow evangelism. She couldn't help but speak of the things of God. She couldn't help but point people to Christ and encourage them to seek him that they might find him. We find King David was of the same spirit when he said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And you see, this was how Israel were to be. They were intended to be a light to the Gentiles, but sadly, so often, they imbibed the darkness of the Gentiles and lost their witness and testimony amongst the nations. But the true people of God, those who were truly regenerate in Israel, they were light, a light in their families, a light in their communities, a light amongst the nation itself. Come, come there with us, and we will do thee good. Notice it's personal. Thou is the singular pronoun. It's personal, speaking directly to Hobab. Come with us, and we will do thee good. You see, it's a very personal thing. When God speaks through his word, it's a personal call. He doesn't deal in a kind of general way and bring his people to him in a general kind of collective manner. He deals with people as individuals. He needs to deal with your soul. He has to deal with your soul. He has to deal with other souls. It's, you see, it's a personal matter. The Lord has to deal one by one with his children to bring them to himself. And Moses' desire here wasn't a kind of just a general request for better days or for more people in Israel and that kind of things. No, he was praying and desiring that there may be on an individual basis increase of a godly sort. That Hobab, there can be no doubt, Moses being a spiritual man, he desired for Hobab not just that he might come amongst the people of Israel in a national sense, but in a spiritual sense as well. He might become one of the true Israelites who were in possession of saving faith and journeying onwards to the land of promise. So then the invitation, come there with us and we will do thee good. But there's another sense in which this, of course, applies, this invitation, to those who are already the Lord's, who have believed to the saving of their soul, who are awakened to spiritual life. They love Christ. They feel a sense of godly sorrow for their sins, but they hadn't acknowledged Christ openly as yet. Some of the chapels I, I preach at, uh, usually the first uh, Sunday in the month, the Lord's Supper is celebrated. And it's the practice of many of these chapels for members to come near the front at the end of the service. And in some cases, others, parts of the congregation will just stay in their seats and they will look on from afar when the Lord's Supper is administered. And there are godly people amongst those who just look on from a distance. And they do so month after month and year after year. If you were to speak to them, and you could have real fellowship with them in the things of God. You can love them 
for Christ's sake, you can see the grace of God in them. And if they were asked of what persuasion they were, they would say, I'm a Baptist. Well, have you been baptised? And they would say, no. It's a strange anomaly, isn't it? How can a Baptist be unbaptised? And yet it's the case with some in amongst the chapels around this country. Maybe that's true of you. You love the Lord. You love the people of God. You love the ways of God. You love the word of God and the worship of God. You love all these things sincerely from your heart. And yet you've never confessed Christ openly. But what is the message for you tonight? Come there with us and we will do thee good. This is the desire, the united desire of the people of God for you. That you might be a secret disciple no longer. That you might honour the Lord by making open profession of Christ. Come there with us and we will do thee good. Think of it in another way. You think of the Lord's table. It's a sad thing to think that godly people, year after year, do not come to the Lord's table. They do not partake of the emblems of Christ's suffering. They do not uh, have the benefit of this particular means of grace. I remember a great aunt I had, I'm thinking back to the 1930s, when that was about the time she would have been uh, blessed with a saving knowledge of the truth. And uh, on one occasion she heard her pastor say this in one of his sermons, maybe you feel that you have sought the Lord in every possible way, but have you sought him in the breaking of bread? And that was the means of her professing Christ and coming forward to join herself publicly with the Lord's people. You think of those words in the book of Ruth, the lovely words of Boaz to Ruth. How kind Boaz was to Ruth. And what was it he said to her at mealtime? Come thou hither and eat of the bread. Maybe that's a word for you tonight. The heavenly Boaz, Christ Jesus, speaking to your heart at mealtime. Come thou hither and eat of the bread. Christ at the, the shores of the Lake of Galilee after his resurrection, he invited his disciples saying, come and dine. And the Lord likewise says to all of his believing people, come and dine. Come there with us and we will do thee good. You see, the Lord asks no hard thing of you. These are no harsh commands. He graciously calls and prompts and constrains his people to acknowledge him and to confess him before others. I trust you're not ashamed of Jesus. It's a sad thing if you are ashamed of Christ. I trust the Lord will constrain your hearts to obey this gracious invitation that's here in the text tonight. Come thou with us and we will do thee good. So we've noticed the journey and its end. Secondly, the invitation. But thirdly and lastly, we notice the encouragement. At the end of the verse, verse 29, for the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. Well, he has, hasn't he? The Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. It was true of Israel nationally. It's true of the spiritual Israel, the people of God, in all ages and all nationalities. Great and precious promises the Lord has given to his people in his word. The word of God is full of promises of help and encouragement to those who believe. It's full, it's overflowing with graciousness from the Lord. 
or guidance in the path of life. We all need that, don't we? We might be instructed in the way we should go. The Lord promises to be our helper and to give us light upon our path that we might see the next steps we are to take in the pathway and journey of life. I will bring the blind by a way they knew not. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I'll make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and will not forsake them. And he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. What more can the Lord say to us regarding these things? He said everything we need to hear is here in the word of God. And the Lord is able to bring it to our attention. And he has said, My grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. He's a God at hand and not a God afar off. He's a God who knows and sees and understands even the feeling of the infirmities of our, our lives. And whatever experience we may go through, the Lord understands. He knows more than any closest friend could possibly know. The Lord knows the concerns, the desires, the difficulties, the trials and tribulations of his people. The Lord has spoken good concerning his people. Not only providential good, but spiritual good and eternal good. And he has promised to bring his people, all who begin this journey of faith, he promises to bring all of his people to a glorious destination. Yes, eternal good has been promised to all who are the Lord's people. He preserves us, he preserves our steps, our going out and our coming in, providentially as well as spiritually, to at last bring his people home to be with him forevermore. You see, there really is no substitute for these things. There's no other place where you can find the blessing of the Lord. It's with his people. You need to be among his people. I was born in a little East Sussex village of Hadlow Down. And interestingly, it has an old, or used to have an old independent chapel. There was an old preacher by the name of James Hallett who began preaching in a somewhat smaller building initially for 25 years. The congregation expanded, and so in 1849 they built a brand new, quite sizable building for a small village. And in the opening services, so many people came along, about a thousand people converged upon that little village. So they couldn't get into the building, so they had the service outside. And old John Warburton of Trowbridge preached from a wagon. And his text was this from Psalm 3, Thy blessing is upon thy people. And that's still true today. God's blessing is upon his people and amongst his people. That's why you need to gather with his people for worship and for prayer. That's where God's blessing is. The chief instrument of blessing is the preaching of the word amongst God's people. And so the Lord encourages people. He has spoken good concerning his people. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. But finally, we notice Hobab's response, verse 30. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to mine own land and to my kindred. What a sad response. How sobering. In spite of all the encouragements Moses could give his brother-in-law, he refused. He hardened his heart. 
I will not go. I don't need these things. I'm going back to my own country. It's far better than journeying through the wilderness. And still Moses reasons with him and remonstrates with him and pleads with him to come with them. And it appears that Moses' reasonings with Hobab proved to be effectual. Because when you turn to Judges in chapter 1, we learn something rather interesting. And the children of the Kenite, this is verse 16 of Judges 1, the children of the Kenite, that's the tribal name of uh, Moses' father-in-law, the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm trees with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah. It seems as if his heart relented. And he realized the folly of hardening his heart against these things. And so he went with the people of God and entered into the promised land as God had foretold in his word. It's a wonderful thing when people's hearts relent, isn't it? You think of Ruth. Orpah, her sister-in-law, went with her so far, went with Naomi towards the promised land, but then the testing time came. Orpah went back to her people and to her gods, but Ruth couldn't. Entreat me not to leave thee, she said, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. And you think of Rebekah. Abraham was anxious to have a good wife for his son Isaac. And so he sent his servant to Mesopotamia. And they found Rebekah. And the question was put to her, Wilt thou go with this man? She said, I will go. And she never had any cause to regret it. Wilt thou go with this man, Christ Jesus? She said, I will go. This is the spirit of the gospel, isn't it? The spirit of constraining grace in the heart. Well, may it prove to be even this night that there may be those who will begin this journey of faith by the grace of God. The Lord may awaken you, constrain you, put his hand upon you, open your eyes to see and touch your hearts. You may feel, yes, I must begin today. Seek the Lord that he might be found. Turn to him, ask him to help you and to save you. You might begin with the Lord that this coming year may be a year of significant blessing for your soul. We are journeying unto the place which the Lord said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good, for the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel. No more strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We're going to conclude our service by singing the hymn seven.